Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Uh, happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. And I do want to reiterate, at any point, if you want to go back there and get some goodies, please do that. You're not going to offend me one bit. If you walk out the door, that might offend me. Uh, but uh, you can go back there and grab one of those. Uh, we, we have been doing a series going through our vision, but we're taking a break for Mother's Day to do a message kind of ties in today. And uh, I'll, I'll say to set up that, uh, I know Mother's Day is a touchy subject for some people, man. It's a, it's a challenging thing. Uh, for some of us who have lost mothers or uh, have gone through where we've lost children or we uh, didn't have mothers in our life or didn't have good examples of mothers, I know this is a hard topic, and I promise you this, this is not going to be just give to them. This is a message for everybody, and I promise if you'll stick with me and listen, I promise it will be something that I think will speak to us all. Uh, but to set up this, I have to share uh, my mother. I'm very grateful for her sitting on the front row over here. I'm glad she, she's probably glad I'm pointing her out. Uh, she's done a lot of things for me in my life and stuff, and I know I've always needed her, but it's funny, I think sometimes she thinks after we graduate out and move out, they're not needed anymore. And the reality is that she's always been needed in my life in many different aspects. Uh, I, I think of a situation, one of my favorite stories of how my mother came to save me uh, was actually on my honeymoon, believe it or not. Uh, I will share the story. Yeah, she, she's laughing already because she knows it. I, I got to live every young man's dream, uh, and I'll share what that is. So Emily and I got married, and uh, we had a trip for San Antonio for our honeymoon, but our first night we were staying in, in Oklahoma City, uh, saying, I think, the Waterford Hotel or something like that. And, and so our first night, our honeymoon, we're all excited. I don't got to get into reasons why that is, but we're all excited for everything. And uh, around midnight, my new wife uh, is, wakes up throwing up about every five minutes. She's just sick as a dog. As we found out later, she had some different medication that needed food, and we didn't eat at our wedding, and so caused her to be sick. So every five minutes, she wakes up just throwing up, just sick and getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And finally, around like 2 a.m. or something like that, uh, I, I just did what I did, and I, I called my mom. And my mom's a PA, and I said, Mom, this is the most embarrassing phone call ever, but my new wife is sick. I don't know what to do. Can you come up here? And so my mother spent the first night of my honeymoon with us. Now I say I'm embarrassed. It's not near as embarrassing as it was for her. And so she stayed up there our first night in our honeymoon suite with us. Uh, I slept on the couch we had in the room. Emily was in the bed. My mom slept in another chair. And, and I'll never forget her staying up there just to make sure, hey, we could get her back to health uh, so we could go off on our trip. And if that wasn't embarrassing enough, I remember around noon the next day, my mom's like, hey, why don't you go grab something to eat? I'll stay here with Emily. I said, okay. So I run to a local McDonald's to get some food. I pull up in my dad's truck, which we drove off of, and in the truck all over it says, just married, and it's filled like with packing peanuts and stuff. My groomsmen have filled the car up, and so I, I pull up to this McDonald's, I get out of the car, close the door, and go in, and everyone's looking and gawking at me like, oh, what's going on? You know, they look, and then they realize I'm the only one walking in. So I walk into this McDonald's, and I can literally hear people go, he must have really messed up. <laughs> like, and I'm like, no, no, I just hit my food. It was, uh, yeah, quite embarrassing and funny thing. Um, guys, I just, and mothers, I don't recommend it for you that you spend the first night of your honeymoon with your kids. That's not what they want. But I'm, I'm grateful for this because, again, I know my mom probably thinks, hey, when you become an adult, I'm no longer needed. And the reality is there, there's always that need that comes up here and there. I still call all the time and stuff like that. Now, I share that same thing in the church. I think a lot of times we get when generations get older and stuff, and there's a question they come to, does God still have a need for me? Do I still have a role to play in his kingdom work? And the truth is, yes. I, I want to say this. Listen, not only are there parental needs we have our whole life and we deal with that, many of you feel that, but, but there's, there's even more so spiritual parenting needs that are there that are so present and we need in the church today. 
And the reality is I think we have a situation where we have older and younger generations that are like two ships passing in the night and communication is terrible. Like my experience in student ministry days, which it's amazing how much stuff mimics what I'm dealing with a pastor as well. In student ministry days, many parents would come to me thinking, my, my kids don't want anything to do with me, so if I shove them to the youth pastor and their leaders, they will fix it. And the reality is, as much as the kids act like they don't want their parents, when you have those deep conversations, they are desperately wanting those conversations with their parents. They are desperately wanting to have those. And the parents don't see it, and the kids don't. What happens? You have two groups that don't know how to communicate, that are wanting the same thing, but instead are rebelling against each other because they don't know how to communicate. And I share it with this because in the church, I see the exact same thing happen between the young adults and the older adults. You have two groups passing like ships the night saying they don't want anything to do with us. They want their own thing. We want our own thing. When in reality, there, there's a desperate need and desire for each other that's greatly being missed. And I want to speak to that today. But like, understand this. Like, real quick, let me just say this. Listen, when it comes to uh, young adults, can I say this to the older generation? Listen, young adults want to be invested in. We desire that. We desire to be a part of someone coming in our life and helping me with my kids. Like, how do I navigate this season of my life? How do I play an integral role in the church? How do I do this? Listen, we, we don't want to be lectured at. We don't want to be talked to. We want to be empowered, but we want to do it with you. We want to partner with you in this. We want to be a part of the kingdom work. Can I say this to the younger generation? Listen, older adults want to invest in others. They have this life experience. They have life from good and poor decisions they made that they, they want to pour into people. That they want to have that kind of relationship, but we don't know how to, we're not interacting well. Here's my big idea from the text we're going to get is this. Everybody in the room is this. We need you here. Like, like you are needed. I don't care what phase of life you're in, we need you. Because there's generations that are wanting the same thing, but, but don't know how to communicate. And what's happening is you're getting this divide. And that's not, that's not a biblical church. The church is multi-generations that are loving and pouring into each other. It's not just a bunch of young adults that congregate to their own side and do the thing. It's not older generation does. It's people who are blending and being a part of the kingdom work. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to show you what I'm talking about in Titus chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. It's right after First and Second Timothy, if you're looking for it, and right before Hebrews. Titus chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to set up what's going on. We'll, be, we'll read chapter 2, verse 1 through 8 uh, on this. And as you're turning there, let me set up what's going on. Paul is writing this letter to a young leader named Titus. T Titus is a guy that he left behind to help guide this church in Crete. Now, now, this letter took place somewhere between 62 to 63 A.D. It's right after Paul's first Roman imprisonment. He's coming fresh out, and they go through Crete. If you don't know where Crete is, it's right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, just south of Greece is right where it's at. And Paul, on his way, kind of helps the church get going, and he leaves Titus behind to get it going. As a matter of fact, he says in, in verse 5 in chapter 1, he says, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and to set up elders in the town. You see, there's an issue going on in Crete that plagues a lot of churches. He tells us in verse 10, he says this. He says, there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. In other words, these Jewish Christians who are coming in, adding more to the gospel than what there should be. 
He's saying there are people in here who are preaching a different gospel than what Christ has put in place. And what's going on, listen, he says, it is necessary to silence them. Why? Because they are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money by dishonest gains. And so you have people who are coming into this church, stirring up things, and saying, listen, this is what it looks like to follow Christ when it's not at all. And what's happening is it's ruining entire families. In other words, you have people who are new converts and stuff walking in, seeing people who should be respected and can't tell true Christianity from false Christianity. Now, let me say it like this. Uh, Emily and I's first house, we we knew nothing about house, housework, or anything like that. Still would say to this day, probably the same thing. Know nothing. And I remember our first house, I began to take care of the yard. I've never been, I still don't have like a green thumb or anything. I just don't want grass to die. If it's green, I'm cool with it, you know. And I remember our first house, like Emily and I get excited because we saw like flowers popping up all over our yard. And Emily's like, don't cut them. Like, I won't cut them. So I'm like weaving around, mowing. Like, we're so like, we can't wait. And then one of my neighbors come day, like an older gentleman who lives next to me, he says, I'm sorry, it's none of my business, but can, can I ask you, like, why are you not mowing those weeds? I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, those are weeds right there. I said, well, they look like flowers. He goes, I know, it's very deceptive, isn't it? Those are weeds, and they'll destroy your grass. And I go, I had no idea. We thought they were flowers, and we were letting them grow. And so we're, like, going around trying to save the weeds. In reality, we're killing our lawn. I say it like this because in the church you have the same thing. A lot of people who see weeds and flowers pop up and they can't distinguish which is which. And so they follow the wrong model. And so Paul's saying, like, listen, it is ruining families. Matter of fact, in verse 16, he says, they claim to know God, but they deny him by his works. They act like they know Jesus, but, but they really don't. And so his answer for this, which is what I'm getting to, starts in chapter 2. So his answer to, to Timothy is this, or Titus, sorry, is this. He says, but I want you to proclaim things that are consistent with sound teaching. His solution is spiritual parenting in the church, is what he's about to unpack. So, so read with me chapter 2, 1 through uh, 8. I think I have 10 on the screen, but it's meant to be 1 through 8. My apologies. He says this. He says, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, so that it may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home. Okay, this is going to be fun. Uh, kind and in submission to their husbands. Can we just skip over those parts later? So that God... <laughs> I should have read this closer. Uh, So that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. I told my wife what I was talking about on the way here. She said, you're bold. (laughs) Let's talk about what's going on here real quick. Again, Titus is being instructed by Paul, a letter written specifically to him. And you have to understand it's to a specific person for a specific audience. You have to understand their context to understand how it applies to us. Does that make sense? The worst thing you can do is read this and say, automatically, this is just meant for me. No, it's not meant for you. It's meant for someone else, but principles are meant for you as well. And you have to read what's going on there. And he's telling him, says, listen, there's need for spiritual uh, parenting, mentoring in the church. In other words, as I go back to, we, we need you here. More specifically, we need you to be here. 
And I'll see what I mean, see what I mean in just a second. Can, can I start with the older men and women? You see in verse 1 through 4, as Paul speaks to them specifically. He talks about these different things. Now, now real quick, let me just address. Paul, I think, is speaking both specifically and generally to both audiences. Does that make sense? Paul is talking to a specific audience. We'll explain why he talks about to the older men and older women first, but at the same time, the principles he's saying to each are meant for both. Just because he says older men this doesn't mean the older women are disqualified don't have to do that. And just because he says older women doesn't mean older men don't have to do that. He's speaking to both, but he's talking to specific things in their church setting. How do I know this? Look at verse 3. What does he say? He uses this word, in the same way or likewise. In other words, just as I said to them applies to you, and just as I say to them applies to you as well. And so the worst thing you can do is read this and go, well, this applies to them, this doesn't apply to me. That, that's not what's going on here. And so first thing he tells them is talks about the older men, which again, talking to both older men and older women. He talks about, I need you to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible. That word sensible means temperate or under control of your personality. He says, sound in faith, love, and endurance. I love that word sound in faith. It, it talks about this. It means, it means faith that is vital and both biblical. You live a life that people look at your faith like, man, their faith is important to them, and it's grounded in truth. It's not just made up. And that word love is the Greek word agape love, which is the word that describes God's love for us. Like your love, you model, is this unconditional love that defies what the world sees around them. And endurance, what does that mean? It means you have a faith that lasts. When you are going through difficult circumstances, you are a beacon of hope. Like, man, that's what it looks like to hold true to your faith. I understand this. All these qualities are visible qualities. They're visible can I just say this? Here's my first point is this. When it comes to older men and women, we need you to be visible. We need you to be a beacon, an example of faith of what it looks like. We need to be present. People need to look at your life and see something in it that says, I want to be like that right there. The problem we face in our church today is this. Number one, not many of you, just being honest, are visible. You're not visible because simply you're not here. You're not active. You're not engaging. You're not able to be seen. You're sitting over there, and I can't tell you how many older generations. I love it. Just don't engage. Like, I'm going to sit to myself and do nothing. Listen, we are dying to engage with you. We want to have a relationship with you. We desire this, but the reality is you don't. It's like, go over there, play with your toys. I'm good over here. That's one problem we have. The second problem I see right now when it comes to being visible is that many assume because your age, you deserve to be seen. There's an act of respect because of your age that needs to be there, but it does not mean you deserve to be seen. How do I know? Because what does Paul say? He says what? Worthy of respect. You live a life that people look at you and say, listen, there, there's something there. Too, too often demand it, and we don't assume it by the way we live. I love the quote by a guy named St. Francis of Assisi. It's used all the time. He says this, preach Christ at all times and use words if necessary. Can I, can I just say real quick, Words are necessary, okay? You can't go through your life and not preach Christ, but listen, they're secondary to the life you live. Once you live the life, your words add value. Too often we try to speak words without the life and they have no value, they're empty. Listen, I, older generations, look, I'm telling this to you, listen, we, we need you to be visible. We, we need you to be an example. You don't believe me, I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm speaking from myself and other younger generations, we want to see that. 
We want to know what it looks like to live as a husband of God, a wife of God, to model a relationship with my kids that is biblical, what it looks like to lead in a church, what it looks like to pour into their people and disciple other people. You need to be visible. Not only that, he talks about older women, but again, he's not just talking to older women, he's talking to both of them. He says the second part in verse 3 through 4. He's, he's saying ultimately here, he's like, I need you to be intentional. Not just visible, but I need you to be intentional. Look what he says. In the same way, older women, you are to be reverent in behavior. I love that term. It means this, behave in a way that is fitting of someone that belongs to God. Live in such a way that people look at you and go, that is a Christian woman. That is a Christian man right now. I know. Because when I read scripture and I see their life, there is something that lines up directly. There's not confusion by it. He says, be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking. Some say too much wine. They are to teach what is good so they may encourage. Uh, I have on here an artifact that I actually found at the island of Crete right here from back in the time that Paul's talking about right here. No, that's actually not. It's actually uh, an Amazon thing right there. Please do not go buy that as soon as the sermon's over because that looks fun to you. The point is this, he's talking to these older women and stuff, and the reason he's speaking to both specifically to them, he's talking about a life, uh, live a life worthy of modeling after. Because older women in this time, in this culture, uh, were often, sorry, my notes just went blank on me. There we go. That would be a bad day. Older women, according to IVB commentary, says this, older women were often objects of ridicule and comedies, and were especially mocked for gossip and foolish talking. And so you had this culture, and that's why he's speaking specifically to them, because there's a culture here in Crete of this kind of thing. Not just that, in this time and day, they didn't have hard liquor. And so if you got drunk, it was going to be on wine, and everybody drank wine. Because the water was not safe to drink, the wine had been put in such a way that everyone drank. And so you have these women who are just getting drunk, and have men too, because it talks about being sober-minded. He's talking about, listen, you need to be intentional in the way you live your life, that when people look, there's nothing that disqualifies you from being an example. I don't know, that was, like, they seem to get drunk. They seem to like the wines club, you know, going on there right there. They seem to gossip. They seem to talk bad. But like, don't miss this. It's not about wine. It's not about drinking. This is not an indictment that drinking is wrong, any of that sort of stuff. He's addressing a particular issue in Crete and saying, listen, here's an issue I know going on. You need to be careful about this. What would happen if we modernize this to our culture nowadays? Hey, hey, hey guys, listen, don't get caught up on material things. You can devote your whole life pursuing the almighty daughter and find your dollar and come to the end of the road and find yourself empty. Don't, don't get so caught up on Instagram and Facebook thinking there is a, a perfect family, be, a perfect situation, a perfect life because it's going to lead you to feeling terrible about yourself. Don't, don't get caught up into that. Living a life worth modeling after and doing that sort of thing. He's not just talking about being intentional in the way that you live. Be intentional as well in your mentoring. Look at the second part. He tells them what? He says, I want you to... Teach, he says, what is good so that you may encourage young women. That word encourage also means to train. This is discipleship at its finest. Teach is, is this. It's always saying, I do, you watch. Watch me. I'm going to talk about it. You watch me. But to train is something you do alongside with someone. Come with me. Let's partner together. This is what it looks like. I want to do this with you. It's pursuing those intentional relationships. That means we have to pursue these things. Uh, some of the staff, we just got back from a conference where a church that's one of the biggest young adult church down in Dallas, Texas, and, and talking to them. And they're trying to teach these young adults how to engage and to pursue these relationships. And listen, we're not off the hook because we need to pursue these relationships. But, but I was so confused, like, why, why are we given the brunt to go and pursue this when we need you to pursue us as well? 
Let me say it like this. When I was a student minister, and we're starting to get young adults, we're starting to, I'm sorry, starting to get small group leaders to pour into kids. Too often, small group leaders would stand to the back like this and think, well, if a kid wants to hang out with me or wants me to pour them, they'll come to me. And they do this. Listen, kids are hungry for it. And I'm like, listen, go engage them. Go talk. I promise you, you start the conversation, they'll do the rest. You got to pursue them. Right, we need you to pursue us. We need you to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to live a life. I want to pour into you. I love you. We need you to be visible. We need you to be intentional. I, I can promise you right now, if I got every one of these young adults right here, they would say that, man, I, I, I would love that. I would love people who live embodied an example. I love people who desire to pour into me, invest in me, do ministry and life with me to teach me what it looks like to follow Christ. Now, my thing is this. Do you see that? There's a gap. We think they want to be left alone. They don't want anything to do with us. We think, listen, you go play with your toys over here. I'll play with mine. We'll be okay. No, listen, I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want to be empowered. I want to feel like I'm making a difference. But I'm going to tell you now, I'm insecure knowing if I'm going to mess it up. And I want someone that's been through life to walk beside me as I do it and say, it's going to be okay. You're going to make mistakes. But let me tell you what to do different next time. How many of those relationships do we have right now? I'm telling you, we're hungry for it. So, so to the older men and women, I'm saying this, we, we need you. We need you. We need you to be visible. We, we need you to be intentional. I'll kind of talk to the younger generation as, as well here. And if you want to ask me later who I'm talking about, hey, where, wherever you think you fit here, younger, older, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to tackle that one. You just put yourself whatever bracket you want to right there with younger and older. There's some things. I'm not dumb. I'm not going to approach some subjects there. To, to the younger generation, he starts in verse, into verse 3. He talks to young women and young men. Now, now, let me address again real quick. Paul, I think, is speaking both specifically and generally here. He speaks to specific audience. We'll unpack why he speaks to the younger women about this and then the younger men about this. But he's speaking generally, and, and they both apply to both. Just because he uses their name doesn't mean they're disqualified. It doesn't count them. How do I know? Because in the same thing, he says in verse 6, in the same way, likewise, hey, listen, this applies to both of you. The principles are true across the board. And, and so he goes on to verse uh, 3, the second part of verse 3. Look what he says. He says, they are to teach what is good, they are, so that they may, they may encourage or train the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Why? Because we are hard to love, right? I don't, uh, someone gave me an amen. Be careful about that in this room. My wife in here would give me a hard amen on that. We are hard to love. That word love is not emotional love. It's talking about behavioral love. It's about showing love in spite of how you're feeling sometimes because feelings can lead us astray. Our emotions can lead us astray. It's saying agape love. And then, listen, I'm going to show you the kindness and love regardless of what's going on because that is what Christ has called me to. He says to be self-controlled, to be pure. That word, I think, I love it means sincere. When people look at me, are you just, they're just as sincere. They're authentic. They're, they're true, true and true. Workers at home, we will get to that, kind and in submission to the husband so that God's word will not be slandered. See, the first point, young adults, is this. I think you need to hear this. I know I need to hear it. Listen, we need to be teachable. We say we want to be mentored, we say we want to be poured into, but we're so arm's distance like, listen, I'll accept your teaching on my terms and my way, and I'm not going to listen to anything if I don't agree at face value to it. And we struggle to be teachable. 
You don't want to give me an amen if you're in the room. I know it because I'm, I'm right here preaching myself right here. This is not a fun sermon to preach. We, we need to be teachable. And he's saying, like, listen, you need to have young people that are teachable, that need to be t- teach, need to be trained in this. Now let's tackle the touchy subject here, what's going on. What he says right here, to love husbands, love spouses, but more he says, these wives are supposed to be workers at home and submitting to their husband. I don't know of a touchier issue right now. Let's talk about it, okay? And can I say this before we get, there, there is a tendency sometimes in a church to, to be silent and suddenly when we get divisive issues, suddenly we get loud and start throwing amens out there, okay? This is not the time or place for it. Because there are going to be people that disagree with what's going on here, and it's points to be heard, not to create division in the room. And so let me say this. Let's address the first one, talking about workers at home. Paul here is talking about a contextual thing going on. Contextually here, many of the wives in this time worked from home. It is not a mandate. Nowhere in Scripture do I find a place that a wife's place is in the home. That's where they belong. It's not there. Most of these women were at home contextually and culturally speaking. That's what they did. And so her employment was at the home, taking care of the family, taking care of the household situation. Now, now what Paul's talking about here is this, is that her employment is secondary to her true calling, the stewardship of her husband, children, and home. And, and the same is true to husbands. Your employment is secondary to your calling to your wives, your children, your household. It's secondary. And too often place that primary and say, listen, you guys take care of home. That's not how it is. Paul's principle here is a good work ethic. He's saying, listen, this is your job at home in this culture and time. You, you need to have a good work ethic. You need to model that and see what it looks like to say, listen, this is what it looks like to be faithful in the job task given to me. In this time, many of them had slaves that would do their, again, a cultural, contextual thing that would do their calling. How do I know? You go down to verse 9, what happens? He's talking to the slaves. It's very easy to have people do all your work, and you're the trophy wife that does nothing and stays at home in this time. He's like, listen, you have a responsibility to have a good work ethic. Make no mistake, listen, work is not a punishment of the fall. It is a gifting of the creation. You don't see work take place after creation, I mean after the fall. It took place before. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to work and to find joy in it. Work became difficult after the fall. And too often we're trying to get away like, well, God doesn't want, no, God wants you to work. We have kingdom work. We need to be ethical and in it. So, so please do not walk away and say, anybody tell you, hey, a wife's pastor said her job's in the kitchen. That, that, that is not at all true here. It's about modeling a good work ethic. Let's talk about the second one, submission to their husbands. Whew. I need a drink of water right now. The Greek word for here, submit, implies to respect the authority of. The grammar tense expresses voluntary acceptance of the husband's headship. I, I, in other words, it's not forced. It's not saying, you, you should submit to me because I'm the man. That, that is not at all what's being said here. And can I say real quick, any, any man that comes and uses that to beat someone down with the word of God is misusing and abusing the word of God. That, that is not it at all. Instead, it's saying spiritual habit is not about dominating the other spouse, but, but to be encouraged and empowered the, lead, uh, the leader of the home in a manner that Christ is a church. It's about sacrificial love and leadership. It, it doesn't imply, real quick, it just doesn't imply inferiority, that they are less than or any less than. Like, man and women are created equally in the sight of God. Go to Galatians 3.28. There's not man or woman, a Jew nor a Gentile. All are equal in the presence and equally in the sight of God. But, but at the same time, listen, and this is under attack today, they are also created distinctively. 
each uniquely and yet have vital roles that are needed in the kingdom of God. The distinctive of sex is like doesn't negate the equality of the sexes. It doesn't negate that suddenly you're less than, you're not, or vice versa. The fact is God created male and female. Each sex has the distinctive features, not only physically, but emotionally and psychologically. Like such features are for the mutual benefit of one another and serve the purpose in the kingdom of God. Yet in the context of the home, wives and husbands each are to have the God-given order and responsibility. We have different roles and responsibility. You have the freedom to choose to reject that. You have that. But it's out of love for Christ and out of love of what God wants to do that are we going to, use to do, choose to do that. I, I love Matt Chandler says this. says, a husband sacrificially loving his wife and a wife submitting to her godly husband creates a relationship that the world would never look at and say, how disgusting or archaic. The reality is you have many men that are not holding up their families and their lives and saying, listen, I'm going to sacrificially give every aspect of my life to make sure they're taken care of and loved and led well. Instead, we use it as a hammer to beat them. That's not what it is. It's no wonder we're revolted by it. I am. So, so why do we do it? Well, he says in verse 5 very clearly right there, so what? So God's word will not be slandered. Because God clearly says in Scripture these things. And so we look at it and say, well, God, what, what are you doing here? I don't know if I can trust your word because this doesn't make sense. I don't like this. I don't see it done well. And so what's going on? Not, not just that, it glorifies and points people back to God. But look at Philippians 2, the Scripture that Grant read this morning. I love it. Listen, what Christ does in the same thing here does not make him inferior or less than, but it's part of God's kingdom work. He says this, adopt the same, in Philippians 2 verse 5, says adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Listen, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He could have it. It's his to have, but he says, I'm not going to exploit this. And so instead, it says, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, he submitted himself to the Father's will. And don't think he didn't want something different. Do you not remember the guard guest sent me? He's like, is there any other way, Father? Is there any other way? Now, now, now don't miss the second part of this. For this reason, God highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Don't miss this. Every aspect of life God's put here is meant to be a living witness that points us back to God and the goodness of God. And I have to apologize right now that in our world today, many people like abuse that and misuse that to where it's detestable. It is. I get it, because we're not getting many examples. And we need to look and say, listen, what does this look like? It's our calling to redeem this and point people back to God through it. Take a deep breath here. And and so I say all this to this. Listen, this is a touchy subject, and many people in our culture are rebelling against us. We have to say, well, what does God's word say, and how am I going to go through this? If this is a touchy subject for you, can I say, listen, we need to first and foremost find somebody in this church that is embodying this, living us out, and spend time watching them before we cast judgment and make a decision. The reality is this, this is one of those things. Are you willing to be teachable on topics that are difficult to you? You don't have to accept it. You have the freedom. You have the right. How do I know that? Because Genesis 3 tells us an account. We have every decision to make on our own. We can do what we want. But will we choose to point back to God? And so for me and myself, I struggle with this. Man, am I being teachable to God in this, what this looks like? So we need to be teachable. Young ladies and gentlemen, can I say this second part? Not only do we need to be teachable, we need to be faithful. Look at verse 6 through 10. 
It says, in the same way, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about you. He's saying this, listen, you need to be faithful to what you're being taught. You need to be faithful to living it out. Why? So you won't disqualify yourself in the kingdom of work. And people look at you and go, that's why I want nothing to do with that God right there. We we take half-truths and we don't really live it out and we refuse to take it in. Don't let your actions disqualify you. Live in such a way that when people look at you, even though they try to pinpoint and talk about it, they can't say anything about you. I love it. He he says what? So opponents will be put to shame and have nothing to say. There's a cultural thing going on right now that I came across. There's an actor named Chris Pratt. If you don't know, he's in the movies Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. He's in the, um, he's in the Jurassic Park stuff. I'm in no way vouching for the guy, but I just I think it's a great situation. He, he is very outspoken about his faith. I have no idea how deep or how good he is. That's not what I'm getting at. But I know he's outspoken his faith, and he's known for going to this church that people are rebelling against because they make stance on homosexuality and other things. And so right now, he's being condemned in the social media, and everyone's saying, man, he needs to be kicked off the Avengers stuff. He needs to be kicked off. Like, we need to get someone new. That They are attacking him, even though he's not doing about it, just because he's associated with it. And I love he's being attacked for all this sort of stuff. And I want to show, uh, put that tweet up there. This is by Mark Ruffalo, who's plays the Incredible Hulk on the Avengers. He comes out in defense. And listen to what he says. And there's no connection I found of anything to his faith or anything like that. Listen to what he says. He says, you all, at Pratt, Chris Pratt, he said, he is a solid man there is. I know him personally, and instead of casting aspirations, look at how he lives his life. He's just not, he's not overly political as a rule. This is a distraction. Let's keep our eyes on the prize, friends. We are so close to now. He has many other famous actors coming out and say, listen, you don't know this guy like I do. He, he lives it. He lives it. Well, what am I getting? Listen, live your life in such a way. Be faithful in such a way that when people come attack you, others who are not part of the face like, no, you can't attack this guy. I mean, that's not true at all about them. I've seen the way they live. You need to hush your mouth. That's not it. We need to be teachable. We need to be faithful with what's given to us. We need to do something with it. You see, the reality is, listen, I don't care who you are or what you're going in your life. We need you here. There are different generations that are hungry to be poured out and be poured into. And we are two ships passing in the night, hungry for the same thing but completely missing the boat. And the reality is if we would just engage, you would see something powerful and biblical taking place where people go, I want to be a part of that right now because I want people to mentor, I want people to pour into me. And people say, man, I want to be a place where I have pour some of life experience and just love on them. But we don't know how to dial it. Like, listen, lingo is going to be different. They're going to say bougie to you and you're going to have to Google what bougie is. They're, they're going to make references to, to uh, Andy Griffith and you're going to have to Google what Andy Griffith is and stuff like that. Like, listen, here's the thing, like, don't let this be a cultural divide for you. Let it be a uniting thing that says, listen, God has spiritual positions here in the church. We need to lean in to embrace it. And so the question is, for Mother's Day, would you be or would you be willing to find spiritual parents in your life that would come and pour into you or be the person that pours into them? My uh, first church I served at, we, we were in New Beginnings Church in Shawnee. It was a small church, about 100 people. We met in an old paint storage building, if you can tell you how awesome that was. My first youth group I was in there, had four kids. We met in a closet, literally. The door we had was a piece of lattice held up by zip ties that we used to open and close. We put a piece of sheet up to give us some privacy. I mean, it was, it was an absolute mess. I remember my first year there, the youth group grew like 10, 15 kids and stuff, and you had this smaller, I mean, you could not get away from each other. We were so close to each other. And I remember the first year, is right after Hurricane Katrina hit, and we decided we were going to take a mission trip to Gulfport, Mississippi to go do some work. 
And so we get about 10 adults and 10 kids in, to go. All the kids load up in the church van, and all the adults load up in their cars, and there's no interaction. They want, they want nothing to do with each other. And I'm like, guys, you really need to talk to them? Like, oh, they're old and they're weak, you know. And talking to them, like, I don't know, I don't understand what they're saying. They talk too fast, you know. Like the, and so they're like just two ships passing in the night. We go there and we begin to serve, begin to work together, begin to take an opportunity. We get locked in a place where they have to begin investing in each other. To the point, by the end of the week, they had grown such deep relationships that when, when we came back, Emily and I drive back in the 15-passenger van, not a single youth would ride with us because they wanted to be with the adults they had gone and met. We had ages from 85 all the way down to 55 as far as adults going in this car, and they're spending time hanging out with them. Every Sunday from that point on, these kids, can I tell you something? We used to sit in the front rows of youth. I couldn't get them to sit with me anymore. They're every week sitting by these new adults they just because they're hungry for it, and life got poured into it. Listen, they wanted this. It was a beautiful thing for about two years. And then we built a new church building right next door. And the youth got their youth building. And the adult says, listen, you got your building and you said we got our space. And they begin to get siloed and separate. And guess what? They no, they no longer want to hang out with each other. The relationships got cut off. Don't, don't tell me this is not needed in a church. Because our maturity in the youth group began to slouch drastically. And the adults in the church became just so focused on themselves to say, go play with your toys over there. We got our space. When, when I read the Bible, when I see the kingdom work, it's people who are edifying and sharpening each other. It's needed. So I'm, I'm going to pray that that would happen here. I would pray we would not become a young adult church. I pray we would not become an old adult church. I pray we would not become siloed and do separate things and have different ministries. I pray we would be a church of people that come together and edify one another, and have great relationships. And so I'm going to pray. As I pray, I'm just going to ask that God would stir in your heart. If you felt convicted in any way, shape, or form, listen, act on it. That's the Holy Spirit's leading in your life to do something about it. Maybe you're one of the older generations, and you're convicted that, listen, I need to start making myself more accessible. I need to initiate the contact with these younger adults. That It's going to be awkward. Listen, embrace the awkwardness and just lean into it and do it. Young adults, listen, be willing to be poured into I know you want it. I, I know I want it. What will you do with that? Since I pray, elders will be up here, and may, maybe you just need someone just to pray over you that God would open those doors for you. Maybe you're a person that sound my voice around that you know you've never accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, so all this is foreign to you. You don't understand anything I'm talking about because you haven't come to place to place your faith and hope and trust in this Savior I'm talking about that lived this out and gave everything so that you could have a relationship with him. And I want to offer you that invitation today. So as I pray, you respond. We'll have elders up here and up here. Let's pray. Father God, I pray you'd speak truth to our life. Help us just to pursue these things. God, I'm hungry for people to pour into me and to love me. Even as a pastor, I'm young, I'm growing, I'm learning. I don't have it all together. I want to play a role in your kingdom work, but I need help. And I pray some of the sound of my voice would felt led to step into those gaps. I pray that we'd all see the need we, you have for us here. God, everyone has a role in your kingdom, and I pray we'd embrace it. I pray for the guests on the sound of my voice. I pray they'd be hungry for maybe a church like that where they can go and know that they can pour into and be poured into. So God, if you're stirring in our heart, I pray we respond. I pray we'd come up just as a sign of commitment to you that we will do something about this. Maybe we'll come up and just pray at the front or pray with one of the elders up here. 
But God, I pray we respond. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, thank you for your design of the church, that it is that. It's not built on one person. It's not built around one generation. It's built around all your children coming together and loving one another. I pray we do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need to respond, I ask you to be faithful. We've got JD over here with love, nothing more to come and pray with you. I'll be over here as well, but you respond in kind.